me well, you know that I'm a creature of habit. This means I'm a person, one of those people who follows an unchanging routine. I have a few people grinning because they know me. I like to do this. I like to do things in the same way and at the same time. I don't like change. Every time there's change, I freak out. One of the unchanging things in my life at the moment is commonly known as Brick and Bell. Brick and Bell is a homey eatery with, with patio seating serving a selection of sandwiches, scones, and coffees. I got that off their website. <laughs> and the reason why Brick and Bell Cafe, located in Pacific Beach, is now an unchanging routine in my life is because as far as I'm concerned, it's my new office. It's where I have most of my meetings, it's where I study um, for my sermons, and it's probably where you will find me if I'm not at home. One of the reasons I love Brick and Bell is because of the awesome opportunity, right, I get to people watch. And one of the things I like to do is figure out why an individual walks through the doors of Brick and Bell as they're walking through the doors of Brick and Bell. Some are there for coffee, of course. Others are there for lunch. Some are there for studying. Yesterday, I was studying for this sermon. There was a couple of girls who were there to study for their finals. And I was able to help them because one of them had forgotten their charger at home. Um, and so I kindly lent them um, her, my charger. Okay? Some of the people are there on a date, some are there to read, some are there for business meeting. And the more I spend time idly observing people, uh, the more it becomes obvious that wherever we are, okay, whatever we choose to do as humans, we do with a purpose. Okay, we do with a purpose. We're all driven by purpose. So are organizations. Every business, every institution, whether small or large, has a purpose. They have a reason why they do, for why they do what they do. And as a church, King's Cross Church, we're no different, okay? There's a reason why we do what we do. And the million dollar question is, as King's Cross Church, why do we do what we do? As a church, why do we engage in the hard work of ministry. What should drive us as a church? Why do most of us, okay, arrive super early on Sunday morning um, in order to set up, right, all of these chairs and all of these equipments and refreshments and all of these things? Why do we do this as a church? Why do we gather in small groups throughout the week in order to encourage um, and pray with each other and spend time with each other. Why do we do all these things? Why do we invest so much of our waking hours, not only for our jobs, not only for our studies, but for the church? Why do you engage, personally? Why do you engage in the hard work of ministry 
Why are you involved in serving this local church? And so in our passage for today, we will be exposed to the reasons why we do what we do. The motivation behind the hard work of our ministry. Let's begin with chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Okay? Paul, who is the author of this letter to the church in Colossae, begins chapter 2 with the following statement. He says, For I want you to know. This he includes in order to grab our attention. What he's saying is that, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Everything I've said before this is important, but what I'm about to say is equally as important. And so, what does he want us to know? Let's keep reading. He said, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Okay? The Greek word for struggle here is agon. Our English word agonize comes from this Greek word. The origins of the word can be traced back to the Greek Olympic Games. Yeah? These Olympic Games were staged every four years, and people from all over the ancient Greek world came to watch and take part. At these games, athletes agonized, struggled, competed with each other. So, what Paul is letting these churches know is that he has been agonizing. He has been struggling. He's been striving. He's been working hard with all of his might for their benefit. Everything we do has a purpose. We work hard for a purpose. Most of us have full-time jobs and you work from early hours of the morning to late hours of the evening in order to get a paycheck, right? So that you can pay the bills, right? Some of us here have gym memberships. We all have gym memberships these days, but whether we use them or not, is another question, okay? We all have gym memberships, and the reason why we have gym memberships is for the purpose of keeping healthy. We work hard for a purpose. There's always a reason why we do what we do. In the same way, Paul has been striving and working hard for a purpose. And his purpose for the hard work of ministry should be why we do what we do. It should be why, as a church, we're committed to the hard work of ministry. So, why, as a church, King's Cross Church, we engage in the hard work of ministry? Firstly, so that we may be satisfied in Jesus Christ, right? Look at verse 2 and 3. It says that your hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, depending on how and when it's used, the word encouraged here has a wide range of meanings, okay? Sometimes it means comfort, um, other times it means to exhort, but right here in this verse, this, this word um, encouraged um, is better translated as strengthen, okay? It means to strengthen as in a call to action. It means to come alongside someone and speak to them in a way that energizes them. 
Alright, you see this all the time, alright, on TV, whether we're watching a sports game or whatever we're doing, we see coaches coming alongside players, and what are they doing? They're going, come on, you can do it, even though you're like 100 million something down, you can do it. You know, they never stop encouraging and strengthening and energizing both those players. William Barclay, um, who's a theologian, helps us further understand the meaning of this word with the following insight. He says, it is the word in the Greco-Roman culture of the rallying call. It is the word used of speeches of soldiers and leaders who urge each other on. It is a word used to send fearful and hesitant soldiers and sailors courageously into the battle. In view of this definition, Paul's desire for the church is to be filled with the kind of strength and encouragement that will provide them with courage to cope with every situation. Also notice this, that Paul doesn't simply say, hey guys, I want you to be encouraged. He's more specific than that. Instead, he's been hard at work, he's been striving and struggling so that their hearts may be encouraged. The place in which he wants them to be encouraged is at the level of the heart, it's in the heart. When our modern minds hear the word heart, what we do is naturally right, associate it with a person's mood or feeling. We often associate the word heart um, with emotions, with our emotions, okay? At times when the Bible uses the word heart, it's not talking about heart in the same way we think about it. Heart used right here is figuratively, figuratively. And refers to the inner person. It refers to the mind. Um, that is the ground of our intentions and our thoughts. Are you guys with me on this? Right? So biblically speaking, our hearts are more than the source of our emotions. Our hearts are the control center of our lives. Therefore, our hearts can be likened to the driver of a car. Okay? Or the person behind the scenes pulling the strings that control the movement uh, of the pulpits, um, of the puppets on stage. Encouraged in heart, or to have hearts encouraged, is therefore a way uh, of referring to an encouragement that touches the deepest part of our being that affects every aspect of our lives says Douglas Moon. That's his name, Douglas Moon. Serious. Strength in heart enables a person to cope with every situation. If our hearts are weak and discouraged, we'll struggle to endure difficulties in life. Listen to this, but if our hearts are strengthened and encouraged, no matter what we face in life, we'll be able to endure. There's a great need for us to be encouraged in heart. That is for us to be strengthened within the deepest part of our being. And this is precisely because discouragement, which we're all very prone to, is a crippling condition that has the potential to bring about the complete absence of hope. 
Alright? Remember I said Paul's the author of this letter. Alright? And he has every reason to be discouraged. He has every reason to throw in the towel because the, um, as he writes this letter, guess what? He's writing this letter shackled and in chains in a cold, dark prison cell. And when we imagine the type of prison he's in, let's not think it's like a modern-day prison. Let's not think um, the, the inmates there um, have blankets and pillows and special meals and restrooms and showers and fresh clothing like we do now. No, life in prison at the time Paul is writing this letter was so different to how it is now. It was an environment categorized by, by bad smells, pain and misery. Okay? John McRae, who's professor of New Testament and archaeology at Wheaton College, provides the following description of the kind of prison Paul was locked up in. Listen to this. He says, Prisoners were stripped naked and then flogged before being thrown in the cell. It was a humiliating and painful ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated. Prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the cold of winter. Most prison cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison. Unbearable cold, lack of water, crammed quarters, and sickening and a sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Prison food, when available, was poor. Most prisoners had to provide their own food from outside sources. And because of the miserable conditions, many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply committed suicide. And these are the conditions. This is the environment in which Paul is writing from. And so you would think he has every right to be discouraged, right? But despite his current circumstances as a prisoner, he's encouraged in heart. And we know this because we've been studying the book of Colossians for a while, and the tone in which he addresses this church is not from someone who's super discouraged and wants to give up. No, he is someone who is encouraged in heart. And just as he's encouraged in heart, he desires the recipients of this letter to be encouraged also. Discouragement is absolutely caused by lots of things. Okay, maybe you're here and you're discouraged and on the cusp of hopelessness because fill in the gap. I don't know what has life brought your way that has discouraged you right now in this moment. The question is if you're discouraged, why are you discouraged? And as a church. We are here and we engage in the hard work of ministry so that no matter how hopeless you feel, you may experience strength for today and hope for tomorrow. 
Paul has an only desire and long for them to be discouraged. He also has been striving so that they may be united in love. All right? He wants them to be knitted together in love. And the reason he wants them to be both encouraged in heart and united in love, okay, is so that they may look at the end of verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2. So that they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, what Paul is saying to the believers he's writing to is that, hey, I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged in heart. I want you to be united so that you may fully know Jesus and be satisfied in him because Jesus is sufficient and Jesus is enough and he's all you need. And the reason why he's emphasizing the truth that Jesus is enough and the reason we need to be fully satisfied in Jesus is because, look at verse 3, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are hidden all, not some, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and because Jesus Christ possesses all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, he alone must be our all in all. And what this is saying is that if we have nothing and we have Jesus, we have everything. If we were to lose everything, okay, and if Jesus is sufficient, and if we're satisfied in Jesus, if we were to lose everything and anything, we should be okay. Why? Because we have Jesus. And when we have Jesus, we have all we need to be fully satisfied. But, if you're like me, okay, and you're human, alright, we have a natural tendency to remain on the treadmill of desperately seeking satisfaction in people, places, or positions. And the million dollar question is, who or what will truly satisfy you? If you were to ask my four-year-old daughter, Kezia, the question of what will satisfy her, what will make her the happiest little girl in the world, what she would say is that if only I could wear my Elsa dress all day, every day, I'll be very happy. I'll be fully satisfied in life. When I was a teenager, if you were to ask me that question and say, Obed, what would make you happy and fully satisfied and content? I would have turned around and said, only if I would get into the soccer team, okay? Only if I would win a 200 meter race, right? Track and field. Only if I would do this and go here and date this person and all of these things. My guess is that you've lived long enough to realize that you have certain desires and you have things that you want and you have things that you feel only if you could get 
will satisfy you. And if you've lived long enough, you've probably discovered that true contentment and satisfaction is never found in people, possessions, or positions. Philip Holmes, who's a blogger from Desiring God, says this, Seeking satisfaction in the things of this world is like chasing the wind. Once you're finally, once you're finally exhausted and weary from your pursuit, you're left empty-handed and disappointed. You've wasted valuable time chasing nothing when you could have been pursuing true joy and peace. True satisfaction, true joy, true peace is found not in people or possessions or, or, posi or positions even, but it's found in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Christ alone can provide the satisfaction and joy we desperately need and long for. In light of all of this, we desire to be a church that strives for hearts and minds and souls to be satisfied in Jesus because the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge can only be found in Jesus, the King of Kings. Therefore, says John Piper, let us bow down and worship Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is worthy of our highest admi ad admiration. Jesus alone is worthy of our trust. He can give us irresistible wisdom. He can see how to make all things work together for our good. None of his judgments about anything is ever mistaken. He teaches the way of God with infallible truthfulness. Trust him, admire him, follow him. And if Christ is enough, if he's sufficient, if we are fully satisfied in him, then we'll receive the necessary strength to navigate through the storms of life. Okay? The reason why, Paul, the reason why you can endure, the reason why you can be encouraged in heart, even if all hell is breaking loose around you, is if you not only recognize, but you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. Because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. So as a church, we engage in the hard work of ministry so that hearts and minds and souls um, may be fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. Next, secondly, as a church, we engage in the hard work of ministry so that we may be guarded against deception. Look at verse 4. Look down at verse 4. It says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, Paul is saying that the reason I've been urging you to be satisfied in Jesus is so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And the people group Paul wants to protect them from, uh, what are the false teachers? As we've been studying this letter, uh, it's been clear that one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter is there are cults and religious groups 
um, that are doing all they can to lead the congregation in Colossae astray. They're trying to distract them from Jesus Christ. They're trying to infiltrate the church and take their attention of Jesus Christ. And a false teacher is anyone who intentionally and consistently teaches anything that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. So as a church, King's Cross Church, we are committed to engaging in the hard work of ministry by continually pointing each other to the sufficiency of Christ so that we will not be deceived by teaching or doctrine that is different to what the Bible teaches. Okay? And there are a lot. There are a lot of popular teachings out there that may make sense, that may sound logical, okay? That may be persuasive and sort of tickle your fancy, okay? But if you compare them to what the Bible really says, it's contrary to what the Bible says. And some of the um, false teachings that can infiltrate the church are um, the one, uh, one of them is called the prosperity gospel. Um, and it says, if, if you trust Jesus, um, pray the sinner's prayer or do some act of faith, you will be blessed on this earth and in this lifetime with material blessings and health like you never could have imagined. As a prosperity, only if you would do these things, you're going to have your best life now. You're going to have an awesome life. Okay? Another popular teaching that may make sense, but doesn't fit in with what the Bible is saying, is this. If you work hard for Christ, if you don't turn from Him in times of trial, and put up with a dark world that is constantly trying to persecute you, then you will be exalted in God's eyes and given spiritual power and ministry success. So what this is saying is, if you're an awesome Christian, you're going to be one of the favorites of God, okay? And he's going to give you success in everything you do. That's not true. Not true at all. And it's not true because uh, the reason why God loves us and the reason why God cares for us is not because of what we do and what we achieve. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. So many different ideas, on biblical ideas and many others um, that are out there that can infiltrate the church. And that is why King's Cross Church is committed to the hard work of ministry. We are committed to the hard work of ministry so that you may not be led astray by some of these crafty and cunning teachings that may seem true, but at the core are false. A greater knowledge of truth develops a stronger defense against deception. And that's what's happening here. The reason why uh, Paul is emphasizing the need for us to find our fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ is because that is what keeps us um, protected and guards us against from some of the um, deception that will try and creep into our church. A greater understanding of God's saving purposes in and through Christ is what will enable us to fend off false teachings. Lastly, as a church, we're committed to the hard work of ministry 
so that we may witness God at work. Look at verse 5. It says, For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good work and firmness of your faith in Christ. Um, if you look at these two phrases, good order and firmness, um, they have a military background. Um, good order means in right order or in formation. You know, when you know soldiers are you know doing their thing and stamping their feet, they're in right order. Okay, um, and, the, and the firmness of your faith here means a solid military front. Taking all of this together, um, John MacArthur says this. He says they express Paul's joy that individually and collectively the Colossians were standing firm against the attacks of false teaching. Okay? Once again, Douglas Moo says this, Paul is like a general inspecting his troops and rejoicing to see that they are displaying the disciplined formation and strong force that they will need to fight the false teachers. In other words, what's going on here, what Paul is saying is that although I'm very far away. Okay? My heart is with you. And I'm so happy to hear reports that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. That's what he's saying. Paul is rejoicing in the fact that despite the many things that have the potential to distract and discourage them from the true gospel, they have remained steadfast in their faith in Jesus has been firm. And that is why we engage in the hard work of ministry as a church. We do this with the hope that we may be able to witness and rejoice that many of us are living the life God has called us to live and that our faith in Christ is strong. Okay? As a church, we're working hard in prayer, in Bible study, and in giving our time to this church so that we may witness God at work. Isn't that amazing to think that all we're doing, okay, we can be encouraged to think that all we're doing, all we're up to, is not just, you know, us just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's having an impact on people. It's having an impact on this community. And one day, sooner or later, and we're seeing it now, okay, one day, we're going to witness the fruits of all of our labor. From what I know, there is already a lot for us to rejoice about as a church. I'm confident of this, that today we can rejoice that our faith has remained strong despite the many challenges and difficulties we've experienced individually, as Christians, or corporately, as a church. There's a lot for us to rejoice about. Many of you are going through, have gone through, are going through, and are going through a lot. Some of us have experienced loss. Some of us are having all sorts of health issues. Some of us uh, are in fear of the future. Trust me, my wife and I, we've been through a lot and we're still affected by a lot of what we've gone through. 
But today is an occasion for us to rejoice. Why? Because we're still here. By God's grace, we are still firm and strong in the faith despite all we've gone through. With the help from Paul Tripp, here are some of the ways I've seen many of you display good order and firmness in the faith, even in the midst of hardship and confusion. I've seen some of you live proactively. You have resisted the urge to be inactive. You have chosen, okay, to remember who God is, and as a result, you have continued to worship him for his presence, wisdom, power, love, and grace, even though you're going through difficulty. Secondly, I've seen some of you live socially, okay? You have resisted the temptation to isolate yourself, because that's what happens. Every time we're going through hardship and confusion, there's a huge temptation for us to isolate ourselves from community. But I've seen, and we can rejoice in the fact that some of us have been intentional in finding ways not only to be part of community, but to encourage others, even in the midst of your own hardship. Lastly, I've seen us live thankfully. This is what Paul Tripp says. He says, it's counterintuitive to number your blessings when it seems that your life has been stripped of blessing. But there is no better way to resist the grumbling and complaining that often kidnaps us all during moments of difficulty. Rather than merely surviving hardship and ending up exhausted and discouraged, you can live with excitement and gratitude. When you live thankfully, you will see life through new eyes, even when life is hard. And the reason why we can live proactively, the reason why we can live thankfully, the reason why, okay, we can live and be encouraged and live socially is because of Jesus. It's because of all that he's done. Remember what Paul has been emphasizing here? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. And what he's basically been telling us is that Christ is enough. Jesus is enough. And because Jesus is enough, he's the only one we can be fully satisfied in. Nothing on this earth can satisfy us. Nothing. No person, no position, nothing. The only person that can satisfy us is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came, he lived a sinless life, he died the death of a sinful man, and on the cross, what happened was our sins, right, our wickedness, all the bad things we've done, he took upon himself, okay, and he gave us his righteousness. And so before God, right, we have peace with God, and God sees us as he sees Jesus, his son. And that is why we need to be satisfied in Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And in Jesus Christ, we have hope for the future. And the reason why I have hope for the future is because he possesses the keys to eternal life. 
And so King's Cross Church, why do we exist as a church? Why do we do what we do? Why are we committed to the hard work of ministry? So that we may, as a church, as a family, as a congregation, be fully satisfied in Christ, be guarded from deception, and witness God at work. So, may we continue to spur each other on to loving and living for Jesus Christ the King. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for helping us see what the core of our mission should be as a church. And our goal as a church is to exalt Jesus Christ. It's to continually fix our eyes on him. And there's so many implications, so many implications. I didn't get time to go through, but everything I've said right now through your Holy Spirit, may you begin to apply it to the hearts, minds, and souls of everyone in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.